Am I on? There we go. That sounds better. Yes. Uh, glad to have you here tonight. Hey, if you're visiting, I want to give a special welcome to you too. We want you to make yourself at home and be who you are and relax and be comfortable. Um, we hope that uh, you do that tonight and we hope that you walk out of here challenged as well. That's a big goal of ours as we gather together to open up God's word, to discuss what it means in our lives and to walk out of here um, hopefully more motivated and challenged to follow it. So um, if you're visiting, a special welcome to you. Did you guys see this? Um, this is so cool. There's a video that I saw on USA Today's website. I think it was on the Today Show and like Fox News and stuff too. But it was this, this diver discovered hidden treasure. Do you see this? It's amazing. So about 300 years earlier, 1715, off the Florida coast, a, like a cluster of Spanish ships carrying the queen's jewels okay, and gold went down. They got caught in a hurricane and they went down, and all of this, they estimated to be $400 million, right, went down in this shipwreck. And so for the last 300 years, people have been trying to find this treasure, this, this sunken treasure. And so this family of sunken treasure hunters, okay, that's what they are, they have like this business, they uh, have been looking for it all over the place, right? And just last month, this happened last month, they had a news conference this past week, last month, they discovered a million dollars worth of this treasure. It was so cool because the diver, had, like during the discovery, he had like a video camera on his head or his chest or something like that. And so like you got to see in real time him discover this gold. So he has like this metal detector, you know, you can see it. And then he comes, he, he comes across these, these gold coins and, and you can hear him going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And he pulls one out, literally one coin. It's like one of the rarest coins was worth, is estimated to be worth $500,000. Crazy, right? So this is like on the 300th anniversary. Amazing. It's really cool. I love something. Like, I do this every time I go to the beach. Anybody else do this? Like, you're digging in the sand, and you think, mate, it's like cartoon world, you know? You're building the sand, and you're like waiting to hit something hard that's going to be a treasure chest. Yeah, that's me. Treasures. Let me ask you a question. What do you treasure? Like, well... We all probably treasure some things, right? That probably a lot of us treasure a lot of different things. Think about that in your own life. Like, what are things that you treasure? Some people treasure things like jewelry, you know, like the queen's jewels or gold. Some people treasure clothes. Some people treasure cars, your house, uh, memories, right? Like we have these treasured memories. Uh, some people have uh, mementos from the past that they treasure that maybe somebody gave to them that was special to them. One of my treasures is this silver dollar. Please nobody take this when I'm not looking. Uh, the silver dollar from 1879 that came from my grandma. My grandma, when she passed away, uh, this is kind of what I got for it. It's kind of something that's special to me. It's a treasure to me. What do you treasure? And why do you treasure it? See, Jesus tells us, which we're going to look at here today, that we have to be very careful with what we treasure because what we treasure kind of has our heart, right? What we treasure has our attention. It has our focus. And what we treasure is a very clear indicator of where our heart is, what our heart's set on. And so tonight, I want to spend a little time wrestling with this. Like, what are things that we treasure? Why do we treasure those things? And what are we storing up in this life? That's what we're going to dig into. So if you've got your Bibles, flip them open, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. 
We're going to start in verse 19. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, we would love for you to have one. So if you don't have one of your own, we've got a whole table full of them back there. You are welcome to have that. If you raise your hand, one of our ushers will bring one to you. Uh, in the church Bibles there, it's page 787. So we're continuing in a series tonight called Things I Wish Jesus Never Said. And what we're doing is looking at some of the challenging passages that uh, Jesus uh, talked about, some of the challenging things that Jesus talked about in his most famous sermon. So some of the things that Jesus said are really, really challenging. They're really tough for us to, to kind of accept and incorporate into our lives. And so we're focusing on Jesus' most famous sermon, Matthew 5 through 7. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And throughout this series, we've been challenging you, I've been challenging you to, to dig into this sermon, to dig into these three chapters. It's really easy to not pick this up during the week, right? It's really easy to set it down on Saturday evening. Sometimes you leave it here. I know this. Sometimes you leave it here, and then you don't pick it up during the week, right? Uh, I want to challenge you to dig into the sermon. What we've been saying is, what if we just kind of as a community committed to read through this sermon, three chapters, Matthew 5 through 7, at least one time each week of this series, and just see what happens, just see what God does, Right? And as you're reading it, pray through it and say, God, show me what you want me to get from this. You know, it's one thing to read something one time. Like we, it, that's fine. We get some good stuff that way. But when you read something over and over and over again, there's a depth that you get to that's just unique. And so that's the challenge that I want to continue this week. We've still got a couple weeks left in this. Read through the Sermon on the Mount, those three chapters, Matthew 5 through 7, at least one time this week. Talk to God and just see what happens. Just see what he does. So tonight, we're going to continue in this series, and we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 6. As, as maybe you're, you're getting there in your Bibles, let me just kind of quickly give you a little bit of a recap and kind of where we're at and catch you up into chapter 6 here, because we pick up kind of in the middle of the sermon here. So, so Jesus is talking to this crowd of people. So he's gone around, he's been uh, preaching and teaching and healing people, and this crowd of people gathers around him. And so he steps up on the side of a mountain to be elevated above them, right, so they could hear him, and he begins to teach. And what he teaches in this sermon, very specifically, this is Jesus' own description of his followers, like, this is his own description of what his followers should be like. Like, if you ever wanted to know, what, what should we act like? What should we be like? What should we live like? This is in Jesus' own words. This is what we should be like. And so up to this point, where we're going to pick up here and kind of partway through chapter 6, up to this point, um, we've talked about this. At the beginning of chapter 5, we talked about some essential qualities of his followers and the blessings that come along with us living that way, with us exhibiting those qualities. It's called the Beatitudes. That's what we talked about a few weeks ago in week one. Then he talks about how his followers are salt and light. Salt and light back then were two of the most important things that you could have, right? Incredibly influential, incredibly essential things. And so Jesus says, you as my followers are influential. You're incredibly important. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. And then he goes on and he talks about these six things that we need to be really careful with that aren't just physical acts, but they're actually issues of the heart. And so each one of these, he kind of starts off the same way. He says, you have heard it said, dot, dot, dot. And he says, but I tell you. And then he authoritatively explains the heart meaning of each of those things. So he talks about things like murder and adultery and divorce and taking oaths and an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, which is what we talked about last week, and loving your enemies. And then we get into chapter 6. In the beginning of chapter 6, Jesus starts out, he talks about our religious life, kind of the, the secret spiritual life 
of the follower of his, if you will. And he talks about three things. First part of chapter 6, he talks about three things. He talks about giving to the needy. He talks about prayer. And he talks about fasting. And in each of those, he talks about doing them in secret, which is fascinating to me. Saying, don't do them publicly for people to look at you and say, man, that Dave is a pretty incredible guy because he prays da-da-da, or he gives da-da-da, right? But Jesus says, do them in secret. So he talks about giving to the needy. Giving to the needy is like our duty to others, right? It's a heart issue, and we do it for God. We don't do it for the praise of the people. So Jesus says, do it in secret. He talks about prayer. Prayer is like our duty to God, right? And it's a heart issue. We do it in secret. We connect our heart to God's heart. We don't pray publicly with flowery prayers for the recognition of everybody else, right? And then he talks about fasting, which is like our duty to ourselves, right? And Jesus says, do it in secret. It's a heart issue. Discipline and control yourself physically so that you can connect with God spiritually. That's what Jesus is talking about here. One of the theologians I've talked about a few times, there's three guys that I really, really like uh, what they've said about the Sermon on the Mount, so I pull a lot of stuff from them. One of the guys' name is John Stott. John Stott says this, when he looks at the beginning of chapter 6, he says, basically, chapter 6 is about this, the non-Christian is self-centered, which I think about my life before I was a follower of Jesus, I was pretty focused on myself, right? He says, the the non-Christian is self-centered, but the Christian is God-centered, This is what Jesus says. The follower of Jesus is God-centered in their life. And so I kind of a question maybe for you to chew on a little bit this week. question I've asked myself is, am I more egocentric or theocentric in my life? Am I more self-focused, right, egocentric, focused on myself, or am I more God-focused in my life? That's a good question. That's a good evaluative question to be asking ourselves. Go check that out this week. Then we get to verse 19. We're in chapter 6. We get to verse 19. Hopefully you're there in your Bibles. Let's look at it together. So Jesus again is talking. And this is what he says. He says, Do not store up or accumulate for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin... Your Bible might say rust there. Mine does. But where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up or accumulate for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what's Jesus saying here? I think a lot of this, like we can, we can kind of get at face value, but when I read this, there's some questions that I have that maybe you have too. The first question is this, like what are treasures on earth? Jesus, you say, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. Like what, what are treasures on earth? Jesus says there are things that moths and vermin can destroy and thieves can break in and steal. That word translated vermin, by the way, in in your Bible, it might be translated as rust as well, which sound like two really different things, like vermins, pest bugs, that sort of thing, and rust. Like, how do you mix those two things up? But basically what it means, it's, it's that which eats something else, right? And so, like, bugs eat away at things, and rust eats away at metal. That's what that word means. So back then, the treasures that people had, like, think about, like, what people would treasure back then. It's different than today, right? The treasures that people would have back then are things like rich garments, right? Like, nice clothing. It might be large supplies of food, large supplies of grain, specifically. It might be precious metals, things that could be eaten away at by pests and rust, things that are subject to destruction, things that are subject to decay, things that could be stolen. 
Another one of the theologians I like said, D.A. Carson said, In principle, by treasures of earth, Jesus refers to anything, I'm sorry, to any valuable which is perishable or could be lost in one way or another. Treasures on earth. Any valuable that could be lost, that's perishable and could be lost in one way or another. So I started off tonight, I said, what are your, what are your treasures on earth, right? Like, what are those valuables, those things that you look at as valuable that you know one day is going to perish or one day is going to loot, you're going to lose? And are you storing those things up? Well, that kind of leads to my second question. My second question that I have as I read this is, like, what does it mean to store up treasures in heaven? Because we all, like, store stuff, Right? Like, it's probably wise to go to the store and buy a little extra food more than just for one meal, and you store it in your house. Like, we all store stuff up. So what's Jesus mean by storing up these treasures on earth? Well, I think this is what he means. I think he means selfish, faithless accumulation. Selfish, faithless accumulation, like hoarding. So the storing up that Jesus is talking about here, it's not just like the simple accumulation of goods. He's not saying you should not accumulate any goods. That's not what he's saying. Saving and planning ahead, those things are good, right? That's wise for us to do that. What he's talking about is hoarding. It's this selfish, faithless, godless accumulation of stuff that Jesus is railing against. This week we had an interesting meeting. This video kind of reminded me. We had an interesting meeting. I guess I just did. Marsha didn't go with me for this first one. But I met with a financial planner. And uh, that's always an interesting thing, right? Like, we try to save money, and I don't know what to do with money, right? <laughs> just put it in the bank, I guess. And so I thought maybe we should, like, look into this a little bit more. So I met with this financial planner, and he was really helpful. So smart. Like, he knows so much. And he, he's a Christian, so he gave me some really good advice. But I went home thinking. I, I, I thought... You know, I, I, could, I could do all of this. I could save all of this in a very selfish, faithless... Like, I could take God completely out of the picture when I talk about saving for my future, right? Like, I could do this in a completely faithless way and just, like, hoard everything. And I could always be worrying about, like, what might happen. And is my money doing well? I could hoard it, never spend it, never be generous, never get away. Or I could have a very different approach. And I can be wise with my savings so that we can provide for our needs and the needs of others in the future, right? Those are two very different things. I think what Jesus is talking about here, don't store up treasures on earth. I think he's talking about this selfish, faithless, accumulation of stuff, like this hoarding. That leads me to my third question. What does it mean then? So don't store up treasures on earth, right? Moth and rust destroy, but instead store up treasures in heaven. What does it mean for us to store up treasures in heaven? Well, first question I have is, like, what are treasures in heaven? Another one of those theologians I like, he says it this way. He says, spiritual treasures, treasures in heaven, should be defined as broadly as possible. That's how he does it as everything that believers can take with them beyond the grave. What are treasures in heaven? What are spiritual treasures? Everything that believers can take with them beyond the grave. For example, holiness of character, obedience to God's commandments, souls won for Christ, disciples nurtured in the faith. Everything that we could take beyond the grave with us. Those are treasures in heaven. I was reading in another book um, about what Jesus was saying about storing up treasures in heaven as opposed to treasures on earth. And he says, it implies that, that you and I as people often have the choice of focusing on activities that lead to greater earthly reward right now 
or focusing on activities that store up greater future reward one day in heaven. And I think that's true, right? Like I think many times we have that choice, and it's tough in the culture that we live in. We live in this sort of instant gratification culture, right? It's tough to focus on things that we don't have instant gratification with, we don't have instant reward with. I'll tell you what I think about, like what comes to mind when I think about storing up treasures in heaven. It's really what Jesus was talking about in the first part of this chapter. Things done publicly for people to see and honor you for, as opposed to things done in secret that only God sees and will one day honor you for. That's what I think about when I think about storing up treasures in heaven. Like there's a difference between doing things publicly like, when I give to somebody and I say, hey, man, I just gave that guy. I just, I saw that guy struggling over there, and I helped him. Did you see me? I helped him, right? Did you see that homeless guy? I took him out to lunch. Yeah, I helped him. There's a difference between that and the recognition and the reward we get now as opposed to doing things in secret that maybe only God sees and no one else knows. That, I think, is, that's what I think of when I think of accumulating treasures in heaven, Let me ask you this. What does it look like in your life? Like, when you think about storing up for yourself treasures in heaven, like, how do you do that? How do you do that? What do you do? What are you doing that you're going to take away with you beyond the grave? Like, maybe for you, it's, it's secretly giving support to people who are struggling and poor. Maybe, maybe for you, it's teaching others to do what's good and right. You know, it's investing in others. It's investing in the next generation. Maybe it's loving others with grace and unconditional love. Maybe it's, it's helping others learn the gospel of Jesus Christ, like helping Jesus make sense, right? Our, our very first value. Maybe for you, it's investing in somebody that's a follower of Jesus and you're kind of helping them grow. What does it look like in your life? Like, what are you doing to store up treasures in heaven that moth and rust don't destroy, and thieves can't break in and steal. I think when I, when I read these kind of clusters of verses here, I think what Jesus is saying is this. I think this is his point. Be careful what you treasure and be wise in what you accumulate. Be careful what you treasure because what you treasure has your heart, right? It has our, it has our focus. It has our attention. Be careful what you treasure and be wise in what you accumulate and be wise in how you accumulate it. That's what I think Jesus is saying. But then he goes on. Look at what he says in verse 22. Because at first, I read this and I go, this seems like out of place. Like, what's, where's Jesus going with this? But this is what he says. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Like, what? Store up for yourself treasures in heaven. The eye is the lamp of the body. Like, where, how does that go together? What's Jesus mean? Well, let me explain it this way. Let me explain it by um, us playing a little game of I Spy. I love games. A little, game of, a little modified game of I Spy. Ready? I'm gonna th- we're going to throw something up on the screen, and when we do, what do you think about first? Like, if this is yours, what do you think about first? What comes to mind? This will make sense as we go. So here we go. I Spy with my little blue eyes. A sweet house. That is a sweet house, right? We would all love to live in that house. When you see that house, what do you think about? Do you think, 
awesome. Man, I could chill in that house. I could have a lot of fun in that house. I could be laying out of that pool and catching some rays, right? I could be li- living the good life. Or do you think, awesome, man, I could really bless a lot of people with that house. That's big enough. I could have a big old grace group in that house, you know? Like, I, I could open up this house, and I could have people who are, like, families that are struggling. I could, like, invite them over for pool parties and, like, movie nights that they couldn't afford on their own. Man, that would be awesome. Like, we're, we're spying the same thing, right? But we're seeing it with very different eyes. Let's try this one. I spy with my little blue eyes a high-paying job. A high-paying job. What do you think about when you think of you having a high-paying job? Do you think... Sweet, man. I got a sweet job. I got lots of money. I can relax. I can buy luxury cars. I could go on luxury vacations. Woo! Or do you think, sweet, man, if I have a high-paying job, I could give more generously to church, and I could give more generously to Haven Arrest. I could help a lot of people with that. How about this one? I spy with my little blue eyes. Great health. They just looked healthy to me. I don't know if they really are or not, but they looked healthy to me. When you think about you being healthy, being in great health, what do you think? Like, love it. I don't have to worry anymore. You know, I'm in, I'm in good shape. I could do the kind of stuff that I want. I don't have to worry about disease and sickness. Man, it's good. Or do you think, man, I love it. Now I can help my neighbor paint the exterior of their house like I know that they've been looking for help with. And I can help my coworker move because I feel good. You know, my back feels strong. How about this one? I spy, this is for teenagers out there, I spy with my little blue eyes an excellent report card. Those are straight A's, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. What do you think when you see that? Do you think, you know, jackpot, I'm going to get into a great college, I'm going to get a great job, I'm going to make a lot of money so I can have that sweet house, I can have that sweet car, and I can go on those luxury vacations? Or do you think, jackpot, Man, I am learning so much so I can get into a great college where I could learn more and I could get a job where I could really help somebody. I want to help somebody. I want to find the cure to cancer and save millions of people. That's pretty different, right? Two more. How about this one? A little change of pace here. I spy with my little blue eyes a homeless man. What do you think of when you see that? Do you think, yuck, man, that dude is lazy and he's probably an alcoholic. There is no way I am going to give that guy any money of my own, I'll tell you that. Or do you think, wow, my heart hurts for that guy. A couple things happen differently in my life, and that could be me. I wonder how I could help. How about this one, last one? I spy with my little blue eyes, an emaciated child. What do you think, do you think? Man, I'm glad that's not me. I'm glad I was born in this country. I don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. What do you think? Oh, my. I have been given so much. How could I use what God has given me to help people just like that? See the difference? 
I think Jesus' point in saying all this, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. That's the equivalent, in, in Jewish thought, that's the equivalent to the heart being the center of who you are. It's the heart's ambition. And so if your eyes are good, you see clearly, and that's helpful. If it's bad, then you have impaired vision, and you're in trouble. You're living in darkness, and you're not seeing things clearly as God has made them and as God has intended them to be. And then you start to treasure the wrong things. Here's, here's the question I've been asking myself this week. What are my eyes enamored by and why? Like, what are my eyes enamored by? And why are they enamored by those things? What catches your eye? And why does it catch your eye? Like, why, why, does that, why is that attractive to you? Is it for selfish reasons? Is it something to accumulate out of selfishness and hoard for your own good pleasure? Or is it because it may give you a chance to store up treasures in heaven and it may give you a chance to bless other people? What are my eyes enamored by and why? Look how Jesus finishes. Look at verse 24. He says, No one can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. See, in Jesus' time, people could be sold as slaves. It's a different time, right? I mean, we don't, obviously don't have that today. That's just how it was. And a slave back then, of course, could only have one master. A slave could not be the property of two different people. It couldn't be the property of two different owners. So here's the question that I think Jesus is driving at. Who's my master? Like, who's my master? Who or what consumes more of my time and my attention and my focus? Is it God or is it money? Is it wealth? Is it stuff? John Stott, another one of those theologians, says, listen, there's not, two, there's not three choices with this. Jesus gives us two choices. It's either God, who's your master? It's either God or it's stuff. It's money. There's no third choice. There's no both option, right? It's one of the, maybe a third option is neither, right? But it's one or the other. You can't, you can't have two as your master, I think the answer to that question, you know, who's my master that Jesus is driving at, to, to the listeners there would have been really, really obvious. One master, God, is completely and totally worthy, right, in this life and in the life to come. The other master has some worth and some dangers, money, right, some worth and some dangers in this life, and ultimately zero value, none, in the life to come. So Jesus asks us, who's your master? Whose property are you? God's or stuff? So, that, so that's a passage. Like that's, that's what Jesus is talking about here. This is some tough stuff, right? Don't stir up treasures on earth where, all this, where it's going to be gone one day, but instead store up treasures in heaven. Like what do we do with this? How, like what are you going to take away from this? How are you going to apply this to your life when you walk out of here today? Well, let me, let me just give you three things to consider and then, and then we'll be done. Three things to consider. The first thing is Jesus isn't saying that people who have wealth and stuff are like missing the boat. That's not what Jesus is saying. You can have stuff and not have that stuff master you. You can have stuff and not hoard it in selfishness and faithlessness. Here's the key. Ready? Here's the key. There's nothing wrong with riches, but it must always go in tandem with generosity. So important, guys. There's nothing wrong with riches, truth is we're all rich in here compared to the vast majority of the world 
There's nothing wrong with riches, but it's always got to go. If you and I are wealthy, we better also be generous. Like if we're rich and if you want to be godly and you want to please God with what he's blessed you with, man, we better be generous. Those of us that have, again, compared to most of the world, we have. Those of us that have, have a responsibility to the have-nots. God doesn't just give us all of this stuff, all of this wealth, all of this comfort for our own good pleasure, right? We kind of talked about this last week. Just like God doesn't bring you to know him just for you. God doesn't save you just for you. He saves you and I, and then he gives us a mission to help other people come to know him, right? God doesn't bless us with stuff just for us, but he does it so that we can be a blessing to the world. Powerful quote from Craig Blomberg. It's really hit my heart, especially as I was thinking, you know, this financial planning stuff. He says, nevertheless, most all people who are able to save and invest experience the temptation drastically to overestimate their genuine needs and to try to secure their futures against all calamity. This is kind of the the selfish, faithless hoarding sort of thing. I'm taking God out of the picture, right? We overestimate our genuine needs and we try to secure our futures against all calamity. Meanwhile, the truly destitute of the world continue to grow poorer. And that's, that's humbling, right? That's humbling. God doesn't bless us with stuff, with wealth, just for us. He does it so that we can be a blessing to other people. Wealth is a blessing, but it's also a curse. And we've got to be careful with that. Jesus talked about how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. He talks about that in Matthew 19. You know why it's so hard? Because when we're rich, when we have stuff, it's really easy to depend on the stuff and not depend on God and who he is, the one who made the stuff and gave us the stuff and could take away all of that stuff, right? There's nothing wrong with riches. This is our first point. There's nothing wrong with riches. But if we're rich, we need to be careful that our riches aren't our master. And if we're rich, if we're wealthy, boy, we better also be generous. That's what's pleasing to God. So that's the first thing. Second thing, I can be quick with this. We can't just be focused on immediate gratification, and we live in this culture that it is so easy to just be focused. Like when I want something, I go out and get it. I don't even have to pay for it right now, right? You just, you charge it, you get it anytime that you want. Man, we cannot be people who think just in the short term. Recognition from others, physical stuff that, that brings us some sort of temporary happiness and pleasure. All those things pale in comparison to the blessings that are to come. Guys, there is life to come right? Like, don't forget there's a life to come. Don't forget that there's a life to come. This isn't all that there is. Don't forget that all of this that we experience now is going to pass. Like, we can't put so much emphasis on everything in the immediate, everything in the short term. One day, God gives us the promise of eternal life with him. The question is, are we storing up treasures for here and now, this life that's going to end sooner or later? Could end tomorrow for us. Are we storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven? Don't forget that there's a life to come. Last thing. And I think this is kind of the big picture of what Jesus is talking about in these verses. Like if I were to try to boil this all down to to one sort of driving point that Jesus has, I think it would be this. Whose kingdom am I building? Mine or God's? Think about that question. Because as we kind of wrap things up, think about that question. Whose kingdom am I building? 
Like, are you more focused on you and what you want and what you dream of and what you enjoy or on God and what he wants for you and the dreams that he has for your life and bringing things in your life that he knows not only will, you, will bring you joy, but will bring you purpose. Like, are you striving for your own immediate gratification in this life, or are you striving toward living for Jesus, which is not always easy in this life, right? But it has some pretty high dividend, it has some pretty high payoff in the life to come. Do you care about the things that God cares about, and do you love the things that God loves? Or is it more about you? Is it more about me? Maybe, maybe God isn't real involved in your day-to-day life. Like, I am, I am so glad that you guys are here tonight. But if we're not inviting Jesus into our lives on Sunday through Friday, man, we are really, really going to struggle building his kingdom and not our kingdom. Whose kingdom am I building? When I think of building the kingdom of God, you know what I think of? People. I think of investments in people. A kingdom is only a kingdom if it's filled with people, right? When I think of building the kingdom of God, I think of investing in people. Listen, God loves people, right? Like God loves you. As you sit here tonight, I don't know what you've been through. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you're going to do tomorrow. But I know this, God loves you and me as much as we could ever, far beyond what we could ever imagine. You know what else I know? He loves the criminal. He loves that really annoying person that drives you crazy. He loves the the welfare abuser. He loves the rapist. He loves the murderer. He loves the crooked politician. He loves the selfish businessman. He loves all of us. No matter where you're at tonight, you got to know that. He loves us. He loves people. And he desires us to come to him for forgiveness and to come to him to be changed. Let me ask you a question. How seriously do you love people? How seriously do you love people? Like, do you care if people come to know Jesus? This, this should make you uncomfortable a little bit. It makes me a little bit uncomfortable. See, if we, whether we like it or not, the Bible is so clear here. That there is no salvation, there is no heaven apart from Jesus, right? There's none. There's eternal life, but it's not eternal life in a place that you want to spend it. Heaven is real. That, or I'm sorry, hell is real. That should absolutely break our hearts. Like, how much do I really care that people come to know Jesus? Uh, I mean, I, Jesus is fine for me. I believe in Jesus, but I mean, I'm not going to push Jesus on anybody else. I don't want to make people uncomfortable. Guys, hell is real. Like, how much, how much do we really care for people? How much do we really believe what this says? And, it should ca- and if we do, it should cause us to live a certain way, shouldn't it? It, it, it should cause us to live a certain way with love. And with intentionality, it should cause us to give a certain way. With generosity, with gratitude, it should cause us to forgive a certain way. With grace and kindness, it should cause us to serve in a certain way. With selflessness and with dedication, it should cause us to share truth in a certain way. With honesty and courage and humility. 
We build God's kingdom. We store up treasures in heaven by living and loving the way that Jesus did with people like whom he loves and we love, even when they're hard to love, right? Because we were hard to love. We're still hard to love if we're honest, right? Even when people aren't kind to us, we love them and we help them encounter Jesus because that's what Jesus did. And if we want to be his followers, we try to act like him, right? We try to live like him and we allow his spirit inside of us to take the lead and to change us and to make us more like him. You know, when I think about what I treasure, I talked about the coin from my grandma. One of my treasures is this baseball. It's got a whole bunch of signatures on it of nobody famous. It's a baseball that I got from a missions trip that I went on 12 years ago. It was right before Marsh and I got engaged. 12 years ago that uh, we did in Hungary. And they had never had baseball there. Believe it or not, never. They didn't have any clue what baseball... Baseball is really a complicated sport if you have no idea how to play baseball. They didn't know anything. So we went over there and we did like a vacation Bible school with them. And we did a baseball camp with them. Like we introduced baseball to them. And they had a blast and they loved it. And we got a chance to tell these kids about Jesus. And I got this ball that we had them, I had them sign. All, all these kids signed this ball. And I pray for these kids. Like this is, this is a treasure in heaven to me, right? Because this represents people. This is building the kingdom of God. How are you building the kingdom of God? How are you storing up treasures in heaven? How are you loving people? How are you being Jesus' hands and feet to others? It's not easy, but guys, we're in this together. Like, this is why we plant this church, guys. We don't plant it to sit in a nice, comfortable, air-conditioned place. I know these benches aren't that comfortable, but it's not why we do this, right? We do this because we love people in Barberton, and there are so many people who have no idea who Jesus really is. And we want them to know him. So what's your part? Like, how are you building up, storing up, accumulating treasures in heaven by loving people?